Come in. Hey, man, I'm sorry I made the transportation. Shut up! You're here! And good thing, because we've got lots of work. It's Employee of the Month with Katie Lazarus, the talk show featuring unforgettable guests with incredible jobs. And now, here's my boss and your host, Katie Lazarus. Hello, welcome to Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus. If it's your first time tuning in, Employee of the Month is a glimpse into the admirable and enviable and just interesting careers. Um, And sometimes the people in themselves are um, admirable, and I try to make it more often than not. And this episode is no exception. Um, My conversation with Morris Robinson, you will hear um, why he is such a fantastic human being, a really special tour de force, and you get to hear him sing. <laughs> and it's, um, if it doesn't blow you away, then then something is wrong with you. Actually, that could be a great test um, to see um, because he's just such a tour de force, as you'll see, um, as you'll see, as you'll hear. But it is so electric that you may feel like you are seeing him. Um, Morris Robinson is currently performing with the New York Metropolitan Opera, which is actually where he got his start in opera at age 30. He was a really, really, really exceptional football player when he was young at the Citadel and then sadly um, didn't make it to pro football. Well, sadly for him, but you'll see why he says music was his first calling and um, he has this undeniable talent and has worked so hard. I, I think that opera is one of the rare singing fields where you have to learn all of these different languages and be able to get the tone correct of the words that you are speaking, um, be it in German or Italian or French or in English. So he got to be part of this very special program at the Metropolitan Opera um, called the Lindemann Young Artist Program. And that is where first you have to get into it and it's extraordinarily competitive. And um, he thrived there and is now one of the most sought after um, bass singers in the world. And again, you're going to hear why. Uh, He only recently um, did Porgy and Bess. And I think that was because as um, a black man, he did not want to get um, stereotyped because he can do everything. And he certainly can. He's been in Don Giovanni, um, Don Carlos. And I also want to point out that he has his own album. It's on the DECA label. It's called Going Home, and it is delightful. Um, if you're in New York, you can check him out at the Metropolitan Opera. He's currently in the Magic Flute, and he will be back in March and April to be in Verdi, um, playing the King in Aida. L.A. Opera, you can check him out if you're in L.A., Boston Symphony Orchestra, check him out there, New York Philharmonic. Um, and if you're in Atlanta, that is his home base, so I bet you can find him there as well. Go to morrisrobinson.com to check out what dates and everything um, so you can see where he is or to find out how to get his album going home. So this interview was recorded live at Joe's Pub at the Public Theater. Morris promised me he will return um, because there's just so much more I wanted to uh, hear about in his own life. And I'm so glad to end 2016 on a high note. And this one is... This is one that we should take with us because I think that what's important is now that we've had so many people to mourn, so much to grieve in this year politically, it is time to move forward. And this is a great way to kick that off. Also, um, just a little bit of housekeeping. Um, 
If you are in New York in 2017, starting in February, the live shows will be back at Joe's Pub at the Public Theater. You can see Edie Falco, Zadie Smith, and so many more surprises. So please do check check us out live. And if you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a nice review. Um, that stuff really matters, even though I feel like I'm asking you to sign my high school yearbook. Please sign my high school yearbook if you like it. Um, all right. Without further ado, here's my interview with Morris Robinson. Morris, Welcome. Happy to be here. <laughs> I mean, already, what? What? All right, all right. Have you ever done, like, a voiceover for, like, a frog? <laughs> <laughs> Looking for the vibrators? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. They said I could say anything, so. It's all good. When did your voice change? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I was actually a soprano um, right up until about 13 years old. Amazing. And then my voice went, uh, you know, I went through that change. Yeah. We and, call it bar mitzvah voice, but yeah. Okay. We don't necessarily call it that, but yeah, yeah. We'll, I'll go yeah. with that, you know. <laughs> and it just dropped out. Um, by the time I was in ninth grade, I was a baritone. Uh, 14, 15, it just dropped. So, yeah. Amazing. So your dad was a minister and your, your whole family was involved in the church and you grew up performing and singing in it. But I, I was curious because a lot of comedians, they're, I mean... By a lot, I'd say I know about seven, whose dads were ministers. And I was just wondering, is that common for opera singers? Well, it's common for singers, I think. You know, I mean, in the black community, we grew up in a church. And yeah. Believe it or not, I really didn't sing a lot in church. I sang when I was really little, and then I got... You have these pictures those, of you. Yeah, oh, God, that was high school. Yeah. I'm wearing sequins. That's not high school. Oh, yeah, that was... Uh, I was in Are a, you in the tutu? I was, well... That's actually my white belt karate uniform, but okay. uh, my cousin was in a ballerina. <laughs> she did a ballerina thing, and they asked okay, me to be so a super cute. or something. So yeah, <laughs> that's my little that's my little sister next to me. So cute. Yeah, no. Um, when I got old enough to realize that cooler things happened, I actually became the church drummer. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I I read that you were good at all the percussion instruments. I I still play. When I go home now, I still play. Well, not that. But. <laughs> <laughs> You were also an unbelievable football player, and at the C Citadel, you were All-American how many times? That's me, 58, yeah. I made three All-American teams my senior year. First team Kodak All-American, first team Sports Network All-American, second team Sporting News All-American, so. And you were, you, no big deal. And you were in Sports Illustrated for the fact that you could also play music, because I guess not, not a lot of offensive linemen um, were also <laughs> playing music. But you really wanted to play football. Well, you know, that was my dream. And, you know, growing up in the South, you know, if you have any size and happen to be black. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm black. I guess you guys didn't know that. You know, but <laughs> Cats out of the bag. <laughs> but, yeah, I, um, you know, I think I was naturally good at music. Yeah. I had to work at being an athlete. But I really wanted to be an athlete because all the cool guys were athletes. All the guys that had girlfriends were athletes. You got to be an athlete, you know. So I, um, I worked really hard to be a football player, and that was all my life. I mean, I, music was a natural thing. Working really hard at football was my, my thing. And, you know, for my whole life, that was my identity. You know, I was a guy that played the drums and could sing, but was a hell of a football player. And that was my thing. I wanted to be that guy. And, you know, after college, it got snatched away from me, you know. Even though I made all the All-American teams, I didn't really fit the prototype offensive lineman they were looking for in the NFL. You know, I was prototype for the wishbone. About six two and a half, six three, two eighty five, really quick, pulling, knocking people out. But NFL, you needed more more height and more size, and they didn't want me, so well, I was crushed. Well, their loss. 
And also, thank goodness, because now you don't have like a concussion that <laughs> <laughs> led to early Alzheimer's. So, our gain. Just being honest. <laughs> I know my memory is kind of short sometimes. So I don't know. It actually happens to all of us. I know it doesn't matter what you do. But anyway, but I did want to ask about this Citadel because I had a friend whose dad was terrifying growing up, and he was a teacher there, and he would like bring a rifle sometimes to breakfast just to like screw with us. His name, anyways. It seems like a very intimidating military institution, and I know I believe they didn't let African Americans in until 1966, and they didn't certainly didn't let women in until 1996, and I was. Just curious, like what your experience was like there. Well, <clears throat> the Citadel, I always say, is a tough place to be, but a great place to be from. You know, as an African American, it was always okay. Well, when you're six three, two eighty five, you don't really see racism up front, you know, because <laughs> 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 you hear about it happening to the smaller guys, but you know, was, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, that shit didn't happen to me. So. Um, <laughs> But I love you. That's amazing. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, and I got to be careful because actually I'm the commencement speaker at the Civil this year. So <laughs> unless they hear this podcast. So. Okay. <laughs> no. Um, but it's being true. I mean, it's being truthful of a past that was. Well, the real reality is, you know, the Citadel was founded uh, as a garrison that was holding armory for to watch actually the AME church where they, that kid killed all those people. That was the, the home site of the slave uprising in 1822. And when that happened, they built this building and housed it with people to watch that church to make sure nothing else like that happened. And then that building became a school, which is the Citadel. That's how it started. It's an academic institution. So the deck was kind of stacked against me off the top, you know. But, uh, yeah. you know, we, um, I would play ball there, and we'd score a touchdown, and I'd look up in the stands, and they're playing Dixie and waving Confederate flags. It was like, I just busted my ass. Am I gonna? Yes. But um, it was one of the things that, you know, I think it helped me in the long run because I realized that the real world is a micro, the, that was just a, a microcosm of the real world. Not that it was all races, but there are all yeah. types of different things that you have to get used to and lots of things you have to, to, to accept that you're not going to be the favorite all the time. You know, I was an athlete, so I lived kind of a, a pampered life. You know, people look up to me. I was a tough guy. But in certain environments, that's just not going to carry you. So it, it forced me to work really hard and concentrate on my work. And if anything, I knew that I wanted to get out of that school what they were able to give me. So I needed to get my degree, and I wanted to have all the rights and privileges that anyone ever went there. So I would never look back and say I wasn't good enough. So. Well, they were lucky to have you then, and now I'm sure they're even more excited. Well, I did my first, and I always tell this story, the Summerall Chapel there was like my first concert hall. I did my first sold-out performances there. I signed my first autographs there. I would sing Oh Holy Night at the Christmas candlelight service, and you know, I was like this phenomenal. You know, I was I was a jock that actually could sing. So you seemed like a poster child and a, a sort of a star there because you were I getting a lot of critical it. acclaim. So that's actually a great transition. Um, you were this star in school. Is that what inspired you to become a bouncer? <laughs> How did you find that out? Oh yeah, that is me. <laughs> Oh, that's, yeah, that's Stacey Augman and me. That's David Justice. So, yeah, one, you know, um, so I graduated in December. Uh, it took me an extra semester to graduate, so I coached that year. And then I didn't walk until May. And, you know, I was interviewing for jobs a whole while, but a, a civil graduate owned the club in Atlanta. And he was like, yo, dog, you can bounce with me if you want to. And I was like, bounce? Free alcohol, girls. Yeah, I'll do it, you know. And, uh, 
And I bounced for from January until I got my first job at 3M. So. so can I just ask a question? So if a woman is of an older age, like, is it true that it's harder for us to get in? I saw it in a movie. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the, yeah, the we want to know. That was so long ago, I don't remember. Oh. <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> that is what we just discovered. So you transition to opera at 30, which I think happens to most people. <laughs> As one does, yeah. How did you get involved with the, the Met? They had this special young development program. Yeah, I, I, um, I started in Boston. I sang the national anthem for this weekend program. They heard me. said, have you ever thought about singing opera? I was like, no. The heck? You know, and, well, you should be in an opera studio. So I did that, and then I got into a private production in Salem, Massachusetts, where the director of Boston University was there. She heard me sing, and she says, hey, you should think about doing this for a living. Gave me her card. I auditioned for her in the spring. They offered me a full scholarship. I quit my job. Gave back my company car, expense account, all that stuff. Yes, that was about <laughs> Cashed so in good. my 401k. <laughs> paid my mortgage out of my 401k for two years and went to grad school. And, uh, you know, I, I, I tried it out. And it immediately started taking off. You know, they heard my voice. So, and I worked really hard. And that's one thing I got yes. from the Citadel. It was like, when you read my story on two pages, it sounds like, oh, this just happened for him. But totally. The, the incomprehensible amount of work one has to do to go from ground zero to a year and a half later getting into the Metropolitan Opera Linda Young Artist Program is, is almost incomprehensible. You yeah. know, I didn't know anything about singing in German. Italian, French, Russian. I do all of that now. I do. I don't know how you didn't. <laughs> how you missed that. Took you a while to do it, yeah. <laughs> but I think that uh, having the pedigree and going to the Citadel, I think a lot of people took chances on me because they at least knew I had the aptitude and the work ethic to try to work hard at it. So uh, it took a while for my polish to catch up with the sound of my voice because, you know, God gave me that part. And I just worked really, really hard, you know, and opportunities kept presenting themselves. And one thing about opportunities, you have to capitalize upon them once they're presented to you. So I, so far I've been doing that. So it's been 17 years and I've been singing opera for a living. So. All over. I mean, La Scala, New York Philharmonic. Oh, I did want to ask one. You also do like the New York Philharmonic in addition to, you know, the Metropolitan Opera and you're, you know, San Francisco, LA. I just want to ask between Philharmonic and Opera, what's the difference? Oh, well, no. When I'm singing with the Philharmonic, for instance, I'm going to be singing Das Rheingold with them this year. That is an opera okay. by Wagner, which I've sung in the operatic stage. We'll just I be know doing who the Wagner concert version. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. <laughs> from Woody Allen. I know who yeah. he is from Woody Allen. He wrote really cool music, though. Yeah, so. I've heard that. Yeah. But in all seriousness, you're just going to be singing with that. I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm sorry? I didn't mean to interrupt you. You were saying you were going to be singing with Oh, well, no. The, the music I do, I mean, normally with sym symphonies, I do oratorial work, which is normally in Latin, and it's a sacred piece normally, or a requiem written for the dead, stuff like that, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Uh, when I'm in the opera house, I do operatic work. Like right now, I'm doing the Magic Flute, yes. Mozart, uh, at the Metropolitan Opera. So it just depends. I, I do both, you know. Okay. Yeah. Um, you also have your own album, and I wanted to recommend that people get it. And in order to do so, can we have a little treat of you playing A Holy Night? Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> yes? <laughs> Would that be okay? Yeah. Why am I so nervous? It's like 400 people here. I got to sing in front of 4,000 tomorrow. So. You guys, the one and only Morris Robinson. <laughs> on his one night off from the Metropolitan Opera. 
It's like the orchestra's tuning. Magic Flute at the Metropolitan Opera. We got six more shows at Lincoln Center. Go to MorrisRobinson.com. It comes right up. You'll see the dates. Come check it out. It's a great show. It's not long. It's not boring. It's just an hour and a half. You know, come see us. <laughs> and and it's, it's actually in English. We're doing it in English. So it won't, it's, bring the kids, and, too. Bring the oh, kids you too. guys mentioned ISIS in it, which I thought was really funny. No, we say ISIS. I know, but if you're reading along, it says ISIS, and it's like all bow down to ISIS. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah, the conductor's like, are we going to say ISIS or ISIS? I was like, are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then I go to, where did I go next? Los Angeles Opera to do a, another Mozart piece. Yeah, Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, I'll be there. There you go. And then I come back to New York to do Aida at the Metropolitan Opera in the spring and Das Rheingold with uh, the New York Philharmonic. So I'll be around. Well, check me out. I got you a couple gifts. I know opera singers can be considered divas, so if anyone's acting like a diva, you can give them the diva cup. The heck is that? <laughs> Wow, that's going to be a really awkward movie. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, my, my favorite niece. One minstrel cup? <laughs> <laughs> it's a comedy show. We can do shots of tequila. 
People were crying in the audience during Oh Holy Night. Not, they weren't crying when I offered him a diva cup from the Park Slope Co-op. <laughs> um, I like being able to have an opera singer on a comedy show. I feel like they probably do a lot of dry classical radio shows. So um, he was a real sport and a lot of fun to have on the show. Thank you all. Thank you to Alex Seiner for editing this together. And thanks to everyone who works on Employee of the Month and listens to it. Much obliged. Much appreciated. Here is to a happy, healthy, and relatively sane 2017. All things given.